Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to American Physio Unfiltered. I have GB, Dr. Sean Reister. Good evening. And on the keys, Dr. Adam Baker. Welcome, listeners. And a uh, lot's gone on since we've been back on uh, on the podcast train. Major League Baseball started. We got the NFL draft next week on the sports side. It's just it's the it's the week of lies, the ultimate lies. Nobody knows who's going to get drafted anywhere. Don't waste another second on a mock draft. On the politics side, you see that crazy North Korean dude. Uh, didn't he stop his nuclear testing or whatever? Is that yeah. fake news or is that real news? Donald Trump is killing it, man. He is he's bringing him to the table and making the world a better place. Barbara Bush passed away. Mm. That was sad. When she was the first lady, was she, like everyone. Of course, she passed away. Everyone's talking like really highly of her. Was she thought of that when she was the I, first lady? <clears throat> I just think like Sean's a, the only one that's old enough to answer that uh, question. A seventy-year-old love story is awesome. Like the fact that those two are still so much in love after seventy it's true. years. True, and the way that her sons Jeb George talk about her. Yeah, it's, it's really uh, nice to hear. I I have nothing but thumbs up for uh, for her. <clears throat> You know, great first lady, awesome, and then just what a relationship. You know, pretty amazing. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, obviously, though, great life. I think you celebrate those rather than be sad about it, and that's uh, how that family seemed to go with it. So, I was, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the way it goes. Personally, today I'm coming off a Moneyball Statistical Analysis Business Class. So, I've been talking to these guys mm-hmm. about uh, what's the um, most predictive indicator of nfl teams or major league baseball teams winning what is the most hmm. what are like the top two or three you want to talk baseball or football let's go football's throw it don't run it (laughs) yeah damn it sean always has the answers baseball is really cool because it's the opposite of what you would think i know a lot of you out there if you've seen moneyball we all know on base percentage is actually the best the winner predictor of um, runs scored. That's that's like the golden thing for offense in baseball is runs scored per game per team. On base percentage yes, is the yes. uh, the most correlated with runs scored per team per game. Okay, what do you think number two is? Let's go with. Oh, I forgot it. We actually talked about this too, and I don't know what it is um think barry bonds seems like a slugger slugging percentage slugging, right and if yep. you think about barry bonds he's got to be the best player to ever live going by this he either got walked or hit a home run every time up at the plate yeah right now i i would say i hate it because as a mets fan i mean he's right there in our division but bryce harper a 406 foot home run on a broken bat was pretty ridiculous mm. but uh which, we, uh, should we just keep just should we just keep running as like a sports podcast now? Just that, kind of cool. that wouldn't be bad. That so, wouldn't be bad. It, but I, you took it because it's like a business class, and it there's relations to this towards healthcare, right? Sadly, going, should we go into it right now? Well, <clears throat> we, we're gonna get into that one. Right. Um, I think uh, in the last couple of weeks there was a couple, there was a, a ton of cool medical stories in the news um like right now don't eat romaine lettuce right because e coli is definitely going to uh, bite you and then about a week ago there was uh, about 200 million eggs got recall recalled for uh, salmonella they uh matter of fact uh, the news stories were going like you know shell shocked you know things like that uh because you know, that's that's kind of punny right because mm-hmm. you know, they got shells <laughs> the eggs recoiled 
But uh, one that was pretty cool because it had hit on stories that we had talked about before, um, especially. Don't exaggerate. Don't. Exa- which part? Don't uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually pretty good. All right, that was pretty sneaky, Baker. Have you guys ever tried Eglin's Best, though? Have you ever bought the real expensive eggs? Yeah, a couple times. I go cage-free. I don't know about you guys, but I can noticeably notice a difference when I buy the Eglin's Best. Like, it tastes better. Is that perception, or is that... What do you guys think about that? Could be perception. That's perception. Sure yeah. That. Maybe better you had that. better salt and pepper. I like the uh, the tops ones, just the the Crayer Farms. Those are good for us, local. You get what you pay for, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyways. Oh yeah, boom. <laughs> I mean, we are crushing it already. <laughs> but but one of the stories that had tied in, we had covered the topic on Alzheimer's before. We had covered it from the standpoint that it was uh, the single diagnosis that could cripple healthcare in America financially. You know, because of the way that. Uh, you know, it just, it can pull up a lot of money. It puts people in a long-term care. You now have family members that have to pull themselves out of the uh, the economy from like a working standpoint to take care of those people. And the costs were astronomical. And the thing is, it was a diagnosis that was growing uh, in the number of people affected by it. Uh, it wasn't flatlining, flatlining at all. And one of the studies that, or not, I'm sorry, but one of the stories that they looked at was trying to take a look at biomarkers and determine Alzheimer's probability based on pre a preclinical subset of data. So some right. scans, biomarkers, things like that. And it was a little bit controversial um, because of the fact that now you'd be identifying uh, several more, you know, thousands and thousands and millions more people uh, with Alzheimer's and they wouldn't have a, the cognitive deficits that went with it. So they wouldn't actually have it. Um, matter of fact, one of the estimates where they took a look at it was that right now people that are over 30 years of age, about 50 million people, about 40, you know, just a shade under that would be in the early stages. They would be right. listed as preclinical. And what I thought, found really interesting with this article and when we were discussing everything is uh, we're going to see more and more of this. And I'm sure it touches a lot of you guys out there. You know, a lot of families have someone or a friend uh, suffering with dementia or Alzheimer's-like symptoms. But now biological signs, uh, you know, with the advancement of medicine and technology can be seen up to 15, 20 years ahead of uh, of symptoms. You can find these biological signs or markers up to 15 20 years yeah. before symptoms arise and ex- so oh, so yeah. can that like help us at all so that i mean i mean the main topic that has been in the news is new way of defining alzheimer's like aims to find right. the disease sooner well the first right? thing it's going to do is the numbers are going to dramatically go up because right because now we can identify screening to find people step one of an action plan right identify the problem correct measurement is key mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and uh, the basis of the story, I mean, it got a little bit sensationalized, like, hey, you're going to have the ability or they're going to determine uh, if you're going to have Alzheimer's earlier. And maybe, of course, then the positive side of the story was slipped in, like, hey, earlier identification, earlier treatment, possibly better outcomes. But the real part of it was determining whether or not, like with a longitude, like a long-term study, do these markers actually indicate 
the onset of actual cognitive and actual symptoms. So in other words, if you have these markers, whether it's uh, you know different uh, uh, amyloid plaques or things like that, you could identify in a scan, or if you were going to have... Um, some of those uh, those amyloids, those uh, those yeah, accumulation actually, you know, of like, those. Before we get too into it, um, what are like the biomarkers? You just said biomarkers. What are those? What well, are those? What are the tests that they can do? Well, let me talk about that amyloid. Sean keeps using this yeah. word here. They, I mean, and, they, and they look. It's they basically an abnormal accumulation of it. Right. That's a protein. Amyloid yes. and tau are terms you're going to hear in the news, or if you if you read things or listen to. To doctors like us, I mean, they're, they're these proteins or plaques that are referred to or tangles in the brain. They're, they're signs of injury or, or damage to nerves. So, so like, when, Yeah, so it's like evidence of injury or damage. Exactly. Of some sort. Okay. You get damage to nerve cells in the brain, and what's going to present is these proteins, also known as plaques, of tau or amyloid. That's what uh, Dr. Reister means by, by these terms. So it's like a biological marker that you can find in the body, um, you know, just like steroids, right? Manny, Marie, Manny Ramirez, back in the day, I remember reading, they found this, this marker that, uh, that they you know, eventually suspended him of. It's not that they found the steroid in his body, but they found this marker that this presents once this you know, external steroid is injected into yeah. the body, then this is presented. So you look for biological markers that uh, can predict what's going on. Yeah, and I, I, um, the Manny one, I think, wasn't it? He, he took the medication that was supposed to mask the biomarker. So then they kind of caught him on that tag, which was, That's right. it was a little different part Actually, of Actually, wasn't Manny, like, when he was coming off the steroids, your, your testosterone because levels dipped, the, so you need to take something yeah, so that your body starts producing it again, The medication right? he took was something that would help with, like, uh, um, um, basically, like, fertility in a female. So right. it was this real answer, like, uh, so you know, no one thought he'd ask him, like, why did you take this? Yeah. And his answer wasn't going to like, I'm trying his, to get pregnant was never going to work. His answer was, I'm Manny being Manny. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love when people said that. That's just Manny being Manny. <laughs> he was a man. But I, I do think that the positive on something like this, I mean, uh, if you if you look at a couple of different articles that were written on it, you'll see uh, um, like the negative spin that came from, you know, some really smart people. Um, you know, physicians that work in the field uh, and researchers, and they were more kind of upset, like, hey, you know, now you're going to be taking all these extra people and throwing them into the diagnosis. And, you know, suddenly you're going to see that diagnosis go up. Matter of fact, those are the numbers I was talking about where, you know, having 50 million Americans diagnosed as uh, in the preclinical stages of Alzheimer's. I mean, right now, um, or yeah, just dementia in general. Yeah, 50 million people worldwide. With dementia. Yeah, oh, not world. This is the United States of America. So this is out of your 350 million population for the U.S. So now you're talking like one in seven. Well, it just seems to me if you can identify it earlier, you can treat it earlier, help the whole situation. Like, Well, we're still in the early phases. I don't know that like treatment for Alzheimer's, although you know, depending on which article you could read is like, you know, hey, we're coming closer all the time. But having that measurement piece, so in other words, yeah. determining whether or not these factors – do come to fruition. So like if you if you're identified as being more uh, likely to have Alzheimer's and then you do and we have those percentages, then that starts to tell us that yes, these markers are in, in point of fact what we're looking at or in other words, what we should be looking at. And then we don't end up going on these wild goose chases where we're trying to determine that, you know, I mean, 
we might be, we might determine another fifteen years that these right, amyloid right. plaques have nothing to do with it. So as as a as a listener right now, like if I think I might be at risk, should I go get a test right now? Would you recommend I go get a brain scan? Well, right now that's the thing. I mean, I I guess you could be in the study, right? Which they put exactly. it in. It. But as far it's as pro- it's pretty expensive to. Just pay for it yourself. Because the thing is, they're not going to know how accurate it is until like another 15 or 20 years goes by. And then by then, you know, you're either afflicted with the, the, the cognitive deficits or not. Right. And and so the good thing is that right now there's a study going on by Medicare and they're researching if if they should cover it or not these brain right. scans and of course it's it's definitely in medicare's best interest because the fact that when we look at the financial implications of alzheimer's um i mean heck there's a lot of people that don't want to know you can uh, there are certain genetic markers which indicate a increased likelihood of alzheimer's and if you were to say use the the, the 23andme kit which is one of the popular ones available for right. like 180 bucks or something like that you can get your uh, genetic scan uh you can check the box that says you know like there's these three or four you know, particular uh, disease processes, you you don't want to know. So in other words, because some people just don't want to read that. So mm-hmm. uh, are there, so say that you get diagnosed with dementia or, or Alzheimer's, are there any treatments that you can do right now? Like, is there anything out well, currently uh, where it's like, know, okay, you know I that, feel like my I, I, mom I feel like the answer is a no. I feel like the answer is a no. What, where I, what that makes me think of, Adam, it, it, it's like, we're so, uh, as a society, we're so react to things that go wrong, right? And the answer is you get identified with these markers and, and you're an older age, you're, you're losing memory, you have symptoms, and then we try to treat those symptoms, which is very difficult and is a huge strain on our healthcare system. Like if we can somehow change our mindset, which I know we've talked on this podcast before about future cancer research and, and oncology going forward, but... It's like we almost need to change our mindset as what are the pre- preventative steps we can take to uh, not eliminate but to help. Yeah. So there's no like – so you're saying there's no long-term <laughs> – there's no like long-term medical treatment mm. you can do. There's just mm. things that they have found that may help. Yeah, or that they think may help. You know, which, right. By the way, most of that stuff Wait, is still in studies as well. Okay, yeah. So if you were to write, so let's say, because we're all physical therapists here, you have a patient come in to the clinic, and they have, they're presenting with signs and symptoms consistent with oh, by dementia. Way, since we are PTs, side note, exercise has been shown to be somewhat beneficial That's with respect to, to cognitive deficits, not necessarily Alzheimer's, but cognitive, cognitive deficits in general. Any research on Sudoku's and... Kind of yeah, function? so I was actually reading about this. Um, it doesn't mean that... That was a joke? What? <laughs> no, no, that, mm-hmm. it's actually said because a lot of people will be like, oh, like, okay, you're starting to get dementia. Just do Sudoku or do <laughs> crossword puzzles. And it's not necessarily that. It's more um, it's turning into an actual point. That was, that was nice. Um, it's kind of like mnemonic devices. So let's say that you're going to the grocery store. Whatever... I like the grocery store. Whatever you used, Wagmans. What <laughs> tops? Whatever you <laughs> used before to like know where you're gonna go next, change that system. So let's say you're gonna go numbers one aisle one four seven ten. Let's say you change it to like the first letter 
of each word. And then you have to do this whole new memory device, a new mnemonic, I guess. Um, and that can actually improve your memory. And then that's been shown to maybe benefit you with, uh, with dementia symptoms later on in life. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Well, I would, I started to think about, there was like a week ago, I was trying to find where the hummus was and I, I just had no, I like I walked all over the place. I thought it was over with like some of the stuff in the dairy section. It was, I was I, thinking, I missed it in the vegetable section. I was thinking something a little bit more serious, you know, someone close to me where it's, it's hard for a family member to figure out what's going on. You know, when you're talking about it to a family member and you tell them how your day's going and you know, what's going on in your life and they have dementia, they have Alzheimer's and then they pause for a couple seconds and they ask you the same question again. You know, that initial reaction is like, I just told you what yeah. I said, you know, and it, it's like your frustration. You're frustrated because yeah. you just said it to them. Mm -hmm. But in reality, that doesn't, you know, the frustration and, you know, saying that same point is, is not going to help them kind of kind of grasp like how how is the best way to kind of kind of deal with a family member who's who's going yeah. or uh or a friend or someone yeah. going, going through this like how, how do well, you, you try to go about getting so, care for so this you individual can, you, you, you don't make it horrible for them that's what you do you try to make things right like, right yeah. there's always that like care factor there's that there's an emotional we factor about. yeah there's one the exercise that we talked about there is the emotional well-being of the person that you were just talking about, Doctor Matt. And is then, there like medication? Like, 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 say you identify someone was with Alzheimer's, and uh, they they're forgetting what you're telling them. No, is, right, is right, there listen, like a medication. Or... Right now, at this point in time, it's how you deal with the person with Alzheimer's. Right. I mean, it's that's what I was. It, it is about trying to make the 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 process as painless as it can be for them. And what I mean by that is, you know. If you, know, you go to see your grandma who who has, you know, either some sort of hallucination type thing is going on or she's having difficulty remembering or she's going through like she's remembering something that's horrible, you try to like comfort them. You don't confront them with it. You don't try to show them what reality is because they're separated from it. And quite honestly, if you if you want to choose to run them through a difficult period over and over, that's, that's not productive at all. It's just, you know, if, if they have some sort of um, weird delusion that's going on, you listen to it and you, you don't try to correct it on them. Cause I mean, potentially five minutes later it could be gone. So yeah. the I mean, only medication that may have any implication would be something controlling blood pressure. But again, exercise is something that can help with that. Yeah. Anyways. But, but once it's in its late stages, there's not a lot. Right. It's uh, and, and that's the big thing. I mean, for the most part, it is a horrible disease process. It is tremendously costly and not just from the dollar standpoint, but in, in human cost. I mean, watching someone that you really care about go through this the first time you go to see, I, you know, I went through it a little bit, you know, with uh, with my grandmother, you know, they don't remember who you are and it's it's difficult and then people get cut off and then, you know, the caretakers are thrown onto that. It's it is hard. So looking for something to take care of this in any study that's being put together that would identify something that we could measure. And if we can measure, we can there, then therefore work on taking care of it is beneficial. Right. So, and that's what it kind of relates back to exactly. is that now we're starting to get these biomarkers where we have all these other conditions where we can tell if they're going to get this even at birth. 
So now, if we can find out 10, 15 years before, maybe we can start to do some testing and see if we can right. help these people with dementia or but, Alzheimer's. But that said, understood. I mean, if you're 30 years old and you get you get identified with pre-markers and you want to get a disability policy, good luck with that. <laughs> right? Mm. Mm-hmm. So we all understand how that works. Right, you're not right. that I'm trying to lead us into the uh, to get to the second segment where we talk about the finances of healthcare, but you that know, is a, that is, that one is of the a nice that transition. You know, so Doctor Matt, you were talking earlier about transitions, man. Today That's, that was pretty good. About right, Moneyball. Moneyball. Yes, we talked about statistical analysis of uh, sports earlier today, which brought brings us to our second segment, which is mind-blowing to me. You know, we think about business with healthcare right now, right? You have to be sustainable. You have to... Uh, in and order- business can be cool. Right. And in order to offer healthcare, you have to be um, collecting money to make sure you can pay your people, pay your providers in order for them to give healthcare. It's and, a business, yeah. Right. It's a business. We get paid. Sure. And it made me think about these pharmaceutical companies or, or certain um, historical things that have gone on where pharmaceutical companies <clears throat> pharmaceutical companies have increased prices um, exponentially. Like, I feel like we've talked about someone. We had a couple. Shkreli. Maybe people. We had, and we had Martin Shkreli and Diaprim, and we also had our, our dear friend Heather Brush uh, with Myelin and the EpiPens. And she's still killing it, by the way. Like, I remember we talked about her. It was over, well over a year ago. And she had a very, very rough week in the Senate. It yeah, but it was a painful. week. One was a week. week of pain, and I am pretty sure she is back to just loving her life. So let's go back to like what her job is. So in the boardroom, let's say um, she's presenting a business idea. Does she really care if it has to do with the patient at all? Right. Like why would someone like her raise the price on – an EpiPen, right? That's what we're talking about. This well, with uh, her it was the EpiPen, and right. and we get how the whole thing works. You know, you're in the boardroom, and well, you, com- you, I, I was gonna let you take this one because like, like, th- com- this was Matt's rant, like right before we started. <laughs> and we were like, "Yep, let's go with this, dude." I was going on emotion earlier, but coming from a business standpoint, right? Any business you're running, a, a toy company, a restaurant, a healthcare company, a physical therapy practice. Whatever you're running, right? You need to have a, a price point or it's or part of marketing. It's right? part of marketing. What what is the market offering for what your services are? In our case, right, physical therapy, or if you're Toys R Us, who is unfortunately going out of bad business, example. Right? Don't do bad Toys R Us. What I found uh, mind-blowing Amazon. about this issue. So what's Amazon. the question? If you if you're the bean counter, the question is: I go Matt. What's the most we can charge for this and people will still buy it? Right. And like, because obviously if you get to a certain point, maybe less people buy mm. it. But how much can we charge and people still buy this? Right. And data is out there for every industry that's out there, right? And when you're talking about a big industry, you know, you're going to have someone coming in showing you the statistical analysis, the regression, the T-score, the the R value, all this stuff, right? Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Simple. What it comes down to is what? how high can we price our product before we start losing money, before people s- stop buying the product? Like, great example. If, if you're selling Tecla Miyama, right. right? And $250 might kill Tecla Miyama. 
right. at a certain point, you're not going to sell enough to generate the revenue to cover the cost that you did for your development and whatever. So you put it on the shelves at Target at one ninety nine. Everybody buys it, and all good. Was that what Tickle Me Elmo went for? I, I, I would think eighty bucks cheap. for an Elmo is ridiculous. That's eighty. So how high can I sell it for? Can I push it to a hundred? Then if you thought eighty. Was okay. Then maybe I say okay, a hundred times. Listen, I was I was watching this thing on TV. It's like a we were watching Sports Center, and mm-hmm. Jack and I are, were watching this at home. And they got this wicked thing. You you can sharpen knives with it. It's like two swipes of this thing. And I can't remember what the name it was, but Jack was like blown away. He's like, "Wow, Dad, I've seen the that. same thing." I know what and you're they about. take the credit card and they swipe it through a couple times, and they they're cutting tomatoes with the credit card. <laughs> and I'm like, "Holy shit, I need this friggin' thing. That looks amazing." It was like 19 bucks, and they gave you two of them, <laughs> right? So clearly, the, the statistical analysis was like, "Listen, because if they thought they could charge 50 and still sell that crap, now by the way, I didn't buy one, so maybe 19 was too much." But, you know, if they thought they could sell, charge 50 and still sell as many, they would charge 50. If they thought they could, you know, charge 100, they would sell it for 100. I, mean, I was getting annoyed at the tangent for a bit, but then I started to think I've been very interested in an air fryer lately, and I've been seeing... How much would you pay for I, an air fryer? I've heard similar things to air fryers. Like, they're awesome. I mean, is it really more healthy? You're not using the Isn't oil? that just a hair dryer pointed at food? It, it, yeah, it's like a coil... That can, yeah, it's... <laughs> Baker's like, yeah. It's a coil, you, you use less oil, and it might be healthier for you. So but, the thing is, but, like, this is an example of something that can maybe help your health if you spend some money. Like, it's better than getting deep-fried fries. So you could live without the deep-fryer, just like I could live without the knife sharpener, just like we could live without the EpiPen. Oh, wait, I meant wait, to say wait Tickle a minute. Me Elmo. I meant to say Tickle right. Me Elmo because some people can't live without an EpiPen. Right. Or Daraprim. So where? So picture this. We're in a boardroom, right? And I'm uh, the business guy. I'm the MBA presenting how much we can put our price point on for this pharmaceutical. Yeah. And then I'm the and, guy. And the, the chart keeps going. My line keeps going. My line keeps going. And we realize that we can increase the price of this EpiPen 700% and we will still have the same sales. (laughs) Because if your five-year-old has a peanut allergy, right, you want to make sure that he's got an EpiPen in his bag with him all the time. So if we can increase the price 700% and it will not affect sales at all. It'll increase sales or like increase profit. It definitely won't decrease it, right? Right. And then the funny part is, if you were looking at it from just a purely business perspective, that is super smart to pull it off. But if you look at it from a human perspective, it is about the biggest D-bag move you can do because there's – they tried to justify it by saying that it was like R&D. We made it better. We put all this investment into it. No, it was actually just what Sonricker here said it was. It was the line on the graph and they're like, listen – we can charge $1,000 for this thing, and we'll still sell just as many. So why not, right? So well, that's what we boil down to as people in America right now in our healthcare system is we're part of a line on a graph. And and the reason why not is because we're dealing with human lives here. It's not a Tickle Me Elmo. It's not a product. It's not right. It's not something that affects lives. But we're, we're talking about a medication or an EpiPen or immunosuppressive 
uh, HIV medication, if we put that price up to a certain point, it's going to destroy lives. It's, it's, it's not going to uh, be sustainable for human yeah. life. So then and, you, and you transition that into like, okay, you can relate that to how uh, people who still care, right? So um, there's some physical therapy clinics that will see four, five, six people per therapist a day. Or you can limit yourself to actually care about your patient instead of saying, how much money can I make per hour? No, you care about them getting better. Uh, and then what you can do to build on that is to spread that clinic, right? So that's how it can make sense that in a certain point, you need to start opening more clinics. I'm just relating to this as us as physical therapists oh, yeah. right now. <laughs> Which, what is our key predictive indicator? Are we saying money is what makes us successful? Are we saying quality of care is what makes us successful? How many lives we save? You know, it's, it's interesting to uh, take different perspectives. If we're looking at a business perspective, of course, it looks great to increase a drug 700%. Everybody's got to buy it anyways or else they're going to die. Or are we looking at it from a different uh, human perspective where if we do something like that, it, it's going to affect lives at a grand scale. Well, when it comes at it, that's where the part where like he, simple human compassion, if it's not part of the equation and if it's not a strong part of the equation, you won't make the right decisions. People won't. And it's in – you know, we made jokes about it here when we were talking about it beforehand. You know, like if I was sitting here as I'm the CEO, I'm like, man, I like that graph. You know what? Put it up there. That's good. Well, let's call it a day. Let's roll. We'll send the uh, good news to our stockholders. Um, but it's also the reason why you know, that dirty word of regulation, when people talk about it, like regulations in the way of business, regulation, regulations there for a reason. It's, it's, it's to prevent things like that from happening. It's from someone else showing up and saying, listen, you can't do that because we're not going to let you do that. And then quite honestly, it does happen other places like EpiPens don't sell for the same price overseas in different places because they don't allow for it. And they still want to be in that market and it doesn't cost so much to make yeah. it. So yeah. it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's a hard thing to talk about. It's, you know, it's harder to hear and it's way harder if you have to live it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had that story the first time. It was about a year and a half ago. Nothing much has changed on that one since. It was in a, you know, 48 hour to, you know, maybe a one week news cycle and then it was gone uh, because we had to go on to the next thing. But quite honestly, these are the things we have to start looking for all the time. And I think we have to put names to the horrible human beings who make those decisions. So it's interesting because uh, we're demonstrating how like a news cycle or a company can put advertisements out and make you think that you need these things. And I think that transitions well into our people who still care segment where it's like you think that you need to do this oh this this story was so th this was this was one where uh more was reading a story and going like this is some of the craziest stuff i ever heard but then it's based on a belief scale and sometimes things are crazy i mean uh for the most part uh your religion, you know, as big as it is, you know, some of us, if we're not really on board all the time, we look at it as being crazy. You know, I, I mean, I, I poke fun at the guys here every now and then because, you know, it's like it's Friday. We're getting a pizza. It's Lent. They're like, oh, nope, you know, can't eat it with the pepperoni. I'm like, and then I'm sitting there like, seriously. Well, people take advantage of that, right? I remember 
at my church at one point, somebody came around, it might have been around Christmas, and he took, he stole, like, the donation bin. Like, he what? took all the money from it. People take advantage of religion, right? Damn. Oh, okay. He, I thought, he I, should I, be I was, on that committee at uh, Diaprim. Actually, I was expecting Baker to go into a story about some guy who no, jacked up fish fries. I just tossed you up with a great transition there. I mm-hmm. thought you were going to talk about fish fries going up like $12 during Lent or you something. You know what I'd do if I caught you, Baker, stealing that? collection box it wasn't me i would put a curse on you okay. <laughs> or that person. The transitions are just endless here <laughs> so the thing is with respect to like the way and that we work you with- cursed me i would curse you back this gets crazy <laughs> it doesn't work it. so it the, might this story it, it just it it was so over the top with how much people could like you know change or the way they would um, affect their actions or even the way that their life could go based on a belief structure. And if you needed anything that to uh, kind of show you the power of belief in many instances, there was a story, it was actually a national story. It wasn't a big one though. It was in time. And it looked at, uh, it was another article that looked at the horrible story of human trafficking, you know, specifically like human sex trafficking. And, um, there was this very interesting component to the story where, uh, so it was people, females in uh, Nigeria, uh, it was in like the Edo state and, uh, like other parts in Africa or other parts of the, the world, um, you know, females. In this case, they weren't being kidnapped or stolen. They were being offered a deal to go to Europe, um, you know, perform sex acts to cover the cost of getting out of Nigeria. And it was interesting. They were kind of sold on it that they they had to come up. Uh, the price to get out was 56000 And they thought right. it was – So they're, they're told like – a price. They're told like it's going to be this amount, and then right. But for them, it the like the Nigerian. Uh, I think it's the Nero or the Nero. Um, it's worth like two tenths of a penny. So fifty six thousand of those. It'd be like three hundred fifty bucks. So I mean, we were talking about the story. We we're joking like if if Matt was in a uh, like a war torn country, and we're like you know, listen, you want to get out, you gotta you know. You're going to go to Europe. You're going to suck some D, but just like 350 bucks worth, <laughs> right? And and then, of course, he thinks about it, and he's like, and I don't know how much of that D you have to work over for three <laughs> for, for 350 bucks, but, you know, it, it might be worth it to him. So then what happens is, you know, these women— Looking at, looking at Sonnerker, it might have to be a lot to get to 350. I, I, I would think. I, I wouldn't. Yes, I don't want to say that. Like, moving on, moving on, moving on. We're joking, but this is a, a serious story. No, it's, a, it's a serious story. So these the, mm. these women, they sign, they're like, okay, we'll do it. So to make sure that they're going to pay the debt, they put them on what's uh, they call it a juju curse, and it's performed by a priest in the in the Edo state. It's a uh, based on a religion that's you know. Well, the debt comes from they transitioned it from whatever that currency was to oh, you actually owe in U.S. dollars, right? Oh yeah, that was the part I was going to get to. So. It turns out U.S. dollars, so now fifty-six thousand U.S. dollars. You know that's a that's a different workload, if if we could say, you know, as far as to, to get that paid out. And the the thing with that is, it, you, this religion, so the juju curse is placed. You know, they believe on it just as hard as you know, like Baker doesn't want to you know have pepperoni as pizza during Lent. You know, he's not doing it. You know, even if it means he's going hungry. Well, in this case here, there's no abduction. There's no threats of violence. There's just this juju curse which sat on the on on this person who went through there. And if they should 
forever, like disrespect the madam, not pay the money back, like their family would die, they would like all these horrible things would happen. And they believed it so hard they would work this off for like four or five or six years, you know, before they could leave or come back or go somewhere. So what there's a cool part to the story though, but you know, with respect to how strong people can believe it and how strong that belief goes. Now, to get this juju curse placed, they would have a priest would perform the ceremony that would bind them to the curse. Okay. And what happened recently was they had uh, created uh, a new uh, person, uh, their, their Oba, who like, uh, like in charge of the kingdom in this place called Benin, which is like in that Edo state. Uh, so he was crowned fall of like 2016. And what was happening was they couldn't get these sex trafficking prosecutions to go through because the people wouldn't testify against the priest because they were worried about the curse. So this guy who's like the new kind of like a king of that little area, he, he back in March, he convenes this meeting with like 500 of these juju priests, right? And he breaks out the this pr- this pronouncement that they can no longer put these curses on these women because he lays down a curse of his own. And then what happens was – so he grabs this – So he double cursed. He double cursed. He went back on their curses with his curse. And his curse was – so he – there was some wooden – carving that hadn't seen sunlight for like 800 or 900 years he pulled this thing out and tomb raider oh like worse though like people who talked about it said it was like the nuclear missile of curses and then he cursed all of these priests that they could no longer do those curses and they had to pull all the curses back and these guys basically shit their freaking pants and went crazy like pulling curses, trying to contact these women that were in Europe, trying to get them to come back, like pick up, because they had to actually come back to the priest's place and pick up their little ball of garments or whatever that was the curse. Like, people believe this stuff so hard. It's like Little B. Like, they went, I don't know who Little B is. You guys don't know who Little B is? Who is Little B? The guy who cursed Kevin Durant. But Kevin Durant, didn't he just, he's good. Yeah, well, he reversed the curse once... He went to the Warriors. He uh, there's this little B. He's a rapper. So are you telling me the Juju curse is real? I'm telling you, it's real if you believe it. So this little B, which I can't believe you guys don't know about, huge social media guy, curses people on social media, as in doesn't swear to them, like sends out a curse. He sends out a curse. He straight curses. He did them. one to uh James Harden. Said he'll never win a championship. He's never won one. Kevin Durant. Well, He's won one, but he took it off. I think he took it off. Come Durant, and he won one. But anyways, I don't. So what this... happens if he has a curse on someone, and then they win anyways? In spite it's never of the curse? happened. Never happened. Is Not there yet. a juju curse on the Bills? It's terrifying. Even mm-hmm. uh, Nas, there was uh, not Nas. Mm-hmm. I saw him. Levar Bell. That's who it was. It was Levar Bell. I'm just looking it up right now on Twitter. This guy's like a huge Twitter guy, and LeVar Bell said something. Ball? Nerd. Yeah, ball. Why am I saying Bell? I'm thinking of uh, Le'Veon Bell. We can Le'Veon just Bell. pass that off as an right. accent. Oh, yeah. Center sounds like a weirdo. LeVar Ball said something negative about Nas, and Lil B put the juju curse on him. Wow. He's done. Don't take He's him in done. your fantasy drafts. Mm-hmm. But one, I thought the cool part of the story was this guy throwing down this, this you know, 
the nuclear missile of all curses on these guys who had been had been doing this, some horrible stuff. I mean, five hundred super bad guys are now terrified of the fact that they partic- you know participated in all this stuff with sex trafficking. I, I love a good revenge story, and anything that ends with five hundred guys like terrified is great. So relating it to people who still care. Oh, it's a stretch as hell, but the thing is. The belief structure and understanding, especially with your patients, if people believe something hard enough coming in, whether or not, you know, what their pain is being caused by, you know, how they've been treated before or, you know, they're not going to be able to get better or things like that. That belief structure in many cases is something that we have to work through first before we can even do the other stuff. And real side story. So there was a study recently put out about um, people with osteoarthritis in their knee. To relate this to like, oh yeah, scenarios that we may see. Um, so they used virtual reality, and you would uh, put whatever the goggles on, and you would look down at your knee. People with OA, they would look at their knee in VR, and it would look like it's being stretched out. Like physically, you would see your knee <laughs> in virtual reality being stretched out, and they actually reported decreased pain levels compared to the control. So I, I, I don't know what the exact number was, but I I believe it's 25%. It was like 25% decreased pain levels based on just looking at your virtual reality knee and looking like it was being stretched out, like there was more joint space. Because the perception so, is reality. Right, so it relates to how we talk to our patients. Yep what you hear and what you can perceive as reality. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you overuse pathoanatomical models with your patients, that will not be good for them. Pathoanatomical models. Yep. So I'm saying, nice. Sean, let's get a virtual reality. Actually, system. we should just get a virtual reality anyways. Those things look totally mm-hmm. BA. All right, deal. You heard it here. Sean's going to buy us all a VR system for PlayStation 4 maybe. Let's keep caring. Yep. Sweet. Play like a champion. <laughs>